morning again. Just before we uh, look into this passage and think about God's word, um, I'm going to invite Denise, if you'd like to uh, just come and share something with us that um, God's prompted her this morning. I had no intention of doing this this morning, but God does this sometimes. (laughs) Um, Some of you may know, many of you don't, that Sheridan had um, a baby on Thursday, and her name is uh, Ivy Grace. Um, And I, I just sent this. There was people praying for Sheridan on Thursday when um, she was in labour and things were happening. And I sent this out to them um, on Friday, I think it was, or Saturday. Um, And I just feel like God has said to me this morning to share it with everyone, to give him the glory for what he did. So I'm just simply going to read what I sent out to those that were praying. I just said... I just wanted to thank everyone very much for praying and to thank God and give him glory for the birth of Ivy Grace Gibbs. The short story is that Ivy was born safely, but immediately after Ivy came out, the placenta and a lot of blood followed. I was in a conversation with three nurses and midwives while Sheridan was in theatre afterwards, and they all agreed that what happened was not normal. And while they couldn't be sure, they felt the placenta was detached for a while and this had caused the bleeding which had built up behind the placenta. Their puzzlement was that if this was the case, why had Ivy shown no signs of distress or harm and why had she come out so well and so healthy? I believe the answer to that is the prayers of the saints and the grace of our Heavenly Father. Thank you, my praying friends. Thank you for fighting in prayer against evil and harm. And thank you for blessing my family with your faith and your prayers. And it hasn't, it hasn't been easy for Sheridan due to her, the blood that she lost and some other issues that she has. And things are still ongoing. But um, Sheridan has a beautiful baby girl and by the grace of our mighty God, he is good and he is worthy of praise. And I just wanted to give God the glory this morning for what he has done and for what he's still doing. And Caitlin can vouch for the fact that she's the most beautiful granddaughter (laughs) ever. So, thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Denise. I think it's important to to remember we're very much a part of a family and, um, and things happen in our family that... Um, are very real and we need to be aware of what's going on but praying for one another and uh, praising God for the way that he cares for us he looks after us he's a wonderful God let's come back to Acts chapter 10 and uh, playing favourites I didn't put this in the message, but um, I wonder how many grandparents play favourites. Never. Um, but playing favourites, we learn to do it from an early, early age. 
as the kids watch the Wiggles, we ask, who's your favourite? And it might be Anthony because he's wearing blue or it might be Sahai because she's the only girl. Um, By the way, she's the new one who replaced Emma. We ask the kids who their favourite teacher is. And as a result, kids learn and grow up believing that favouritism is both good and acceptable. And we then take favouritism into our adult years. From Acts chapter 8, we read of the conversion of Simon the sorcerer in Samaria the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, then Saul's conversion, and now we come to Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Luke is recording here the progress of the Gospels being taken from Israel into Judea, into Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we come today to the conversion of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. But throughout all of these accounts, there's a consistent theme. And it's a theme that is easily missed, but it's a consistent theme of how the gospel overcomes prejudice, playing favourites. And so the conversion of Cornelius also includes the conversion of Peter. The conversion of Peter involves converting him in terms of his prejudice. There are two conversions that are taking place in this story, a double conversion. You see, one of the greatest obstacles to the extension of the kingdom of God, to the sharing of our faith, is human prejudice. Simon, as you think about it, Simon was a Samaritan, but not only a Samaritan, he was a sorcerer. He was practising black magic. He's one to be prejudiced against. The Ethiopian was both a Gentile and a eunuch. Saul, with all of his good intentions, was fighting against God. And here with Cornelius, another Gentile who happens to be a Roman centurion. The army who is controlling us, the Jews. These are all people to steer clear of, to put up a barrier, to have nothing to do with. People to whom Peter and the Jews would be prejudiced against. No different to most of us, the Jews played favourites. And they chose themselves in front of everyone else. Peter had grown up under such a prejudice. Although he walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus for three years and he saw something different in Jesus, he still has these underlying prejudices. John Stott wrote about this. He said, Israel twisted the doctrine of election into favouritism and became filled with racial pride and hatred. They despised the Gentiles as dogs. And they developed traditions that kept them apart. No pious Jew would sit down at the table of a Gentile. And a Gentile was anyone who was not a Jew. For the Jews, the people you sit down with are your family. 
that the Jewish family had been called by God to be separate to other nations. And so what they did was they now understood that they must not associate or compromise with the world in any shape or form. They have nothing to do with anyone else from the world. Chuck Swindoll said, Prejudice is a learned trait. You are not born prejudiced, you're taught it. George Aiken wrote, If we were to wake up some morning and find that everyone was the same race, creed and colour, we would find some other causes for prejudice by midday. Prejudice is very much a part of the fallen human nature. And most times it's an unfair and it's an unreasonable opinion or feeling, especially when formed without enough thought or knowledge. Prejudice leads to discrimination, leads to racism, leads to inequality. And in this story we see how Peter expresses his prejudice and how this was normal for every Jew. Verses 13 to 14. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, and kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Verse 28, Peter said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. And then in chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. How deplorable. And we're going to notice how God challenges Peter on this very issue. We'll first go back to Cornelius from verse 1, from chapter 10. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Caesarea, not to be confused with Caesarea Philippi that we mentioned last week, Caesarea is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And at the time, it was an important Roman town. It was a trading port. And still today, there are the remains of the the stone port that was built out into the ocean. Ships brought grain to Caesarea. Heavy taxes were applied. And so Cornelius was stationed there with a hundred soldiers under his command, hence the centurion, to reap the benefits for Rome and to keep the peace in the, in the whole region. And Cornelius was 
the ideal fit for this kind of a position. He honoured Rome, but he also sought to honour the God of the Hebrews. He spent time in prayer to the God of the Hebrews. He'd won the respect of both communities. And so he sends two of his servants and a devout soldier to bring Peter to him. And so he's not the only believer in God. God is once again orchestrating the events, as God orchestrates all of the events. And he speaks to Cornelius via an angel through a vision, and it would appear that his generosity in supporting the, the needy folk of the community and his, his uh, devotion to the Lord in his prayer life was what God wanted to honour. 1 Samuel 2.30 says, Those who honour me, I will honour. Regardless of whether they're a Jew or not, if you honour me, I will honour you. And God seeks to honour Cornelius and at the same time to advance the gospel into the Roman Empire. Seeking to honour God. Seeking to honour God in the quiet, the unseen ways of prayer and giving for the least of these, rises up before the Father like a memorial offering. Have you thought about that? Your unseen, unheard, necessarily, prayers, your giving to those of the least of these, they're rising up before the Father like a memorial offering. Sacrifices on the altar, they're no longer required. They're no longer raising up before the Father, as it mentions in the Old Testament, but our prayers and our good deeds are. God sees, God hears, and God honours those who seek to honour him. Even so, God has no favourites. And his grace knows no bounds. Or another way of saying is it, it is God favours all equally. God may not have any favourites, but everybody's he favours. Favours all equally. And Cornelius is about to find out that there's actually no barriers between he and God. And Peter's about to learn the same lesson. Peter had found his way down to Joppa, around 50 kilometres down from Caesarea. He's sitting on the roof of his friend's house, Simon the Tanner. He's feeling hungry. Lunch is being prepared and he has a vision. Verse 11. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Well, this happened three times. Immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. 
Peter is pondering the meaning of this vision. And three men arrive, and we pick it up in verse 19. The Spirit said to Peter, said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. They then share with Peter the vision that Cornelius has seen. Peter invites them to stay the night. Three Gentile men invite them, invites them to come into Simon the Tanner's home, who no doubt had the same prejudice as Simon, invites them into his home and the next day they set out for Caesarea. But three times the sheet drops down, three times God says, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And now three Gentile men stand at the open door. Vision wasn't about food, was it? It was about people. The penny must be beginning to drop. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. But he doesn't know what God wants him to do in Caesarea. Still today, God speaks through dreams, through visions, through his word, by his Holy Spirit. Still today, God leads, but he may not give us the whole story or whole picture in advance. He's calling us to trust him and to be obedient without knowing where that might take us. So when you pray, ask the Lord to speak to you, to show you his ways, to show you his heart. Ask him to reveal to you his heart. And ask him to show you what you need to address to become more like Jesus. For Peter, verse 28, God showed me that I shouldn't call anyone or I should call nobody common or unclean. He'd previously done that, called people common or unclean. So I came when I was asked and I raised no objections. He's actually talking to Cornelius there. Peter is now a quick learner. He's quick to respond to the Lord. He's quick to put aside prejudice. Quick to go, quick to spend time in the home of a Gentile, a Gentile centurion. And I wonder for Peter whether he looked back and he thought about Jesus, how Jesus didn't shun the Gentile. Or sp- he spent time with them as he spent time with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan Peter's now becoming more like Christ. And as he says in verse 34, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts men from every nation. I now understand that God doesn't show favouritism, that he doesn't have favourites and that we are not the select chosen race. But God favours all. 
people. A few weeks ago I suggested that we all take our past with us into the present. And here with Peter we have just such an example. Taking his past into his present, Peter had spent extended time with Jesus, had spent time sitting under Jesus' teaching, time to learn his ways, and now having also received the Holy Spirit, God still has areas to deal with with Peter. Still has issues that come up that need to be addressed with Peter. Now, our society calls for tolerance. But clearly, God doesn't want to just tolerate Peter. He doesn't want to simply leave Peter as he is, and he doesn't want Peter just to simply tolerate the Gentiles or Samaritans. He doesn't want Peter just to tolerate people, but he wants to remove prejudice. For in the kingdom of God there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. God doesn't just want to tolerate us. He doesn't want to tolerate you and I. He wants to move us on. He doesn't simply accept us just as we are. That's another lie from the devil. He accepts us just as we are and leave it at that. God invites us as we are to join with him as he seeks to then make us like Christ. So does God have areas that he needs to work on with us? And when you sense his prompting, are you quick to respond, as Peter was? Most of us, I think, would probably say, I'm not racist, I'm not prejudiced. But how many First Nation friends do you have? How many Indian or Chinese? How many from any nation do we have as friends? And as Kate so challenged us a few weeks ago, our prejudice goes beyond race. Our prejudice may go toward the girl from the strip club, the guy who frequents the brothel. It could be the kid from the local gang, the drug addict, the alcoholic, or the homeless, the unwashed, the unkempt. The list goes on. We discriminate. We're prejudiced. We Aussies love our sport, but we always want Aussies to win. We don't want to necessarily appreciate sport for just being good sport. We certainly don't want the Poms to win. (laughs) And then when there's a tragedy overseas, the headline is always, an Aussie dies in... 
What about the other hundred from Indonesia who have lost their lives? No, an, an Aussie dies in Indonesia. Prejudice is built on favouritism. And we favour those who are like us. And it can be positive for those who are favoured by it, but it can be negative for those who are discriminated against. And favouritism and prejudice can rear its ugly head in the church. Who is it that you shun or that you avoid? Is there some prejudice behind that? Again, one of the great obstacles to the extension of the kingdom of God is human prejudice. And one of the great obstacles to us becoming like Christ is apathy or believing that close enough is good enough, that being saved is all that matters. Imagine if that had been Peter's response. Close enough is good enough. I'm saved, that's all that matters. Then Cornelius and all of those who had gathered at his home, and there was a lot of them who gathered in Cornelius's home to hear Peter's message, they wouldn't have been saved. And as we read the, the rest of the story, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon them, all of these Gentiles, by the way, and... They begin to speak in tongues and Peter orders that they be baptised. Peter becomes one of Paul's greatest supporters as together they take the gospel to non-Jews, out to the world. And once again we see that God favours all people equally. We see the Father's heart for all, whoever we might be prejudiced toward. Are we seeking to honour the Lord? Are we really seeking to honour the Lord? And are we responding to him as he leads and guides? Prejudice will never be addressed within us unless we seek to honour the Lord and respond to his gentle directions. And he was gentle with Peter. May the Lord make us more like Christ so that the world might be saved, so that the unacceptable might be welcomed at his table.